Hey now, and happy new year. We are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That uh, with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again, and we are kicking off 2024 with a bang as we have an absolute ton to discuss from WWE's first show of the year, a day one special edition of Monday Night Raw. Vintage Chris Vanini is along for the ride as always, and we will get to him momentarily. First, as we kick off this show, it is my duty and honor to remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, even in the year 2024, it's all about defy. So please, folks. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein for Vintage Chris Vanini and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. You can do that by heading over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leaving some five-star ratings on Apple, taking a little extra time, leaving some five-star written reviews, because if you do, we will read them live right here on the show. And... Over the last couple of weeks, we have two brand new five-star reviews that it is my pleasure to now read on the show. The first coming from S. Bubs. He said, this show has got me saying, hey now, I only started watching wrestling a few months ago, and this is by far my favorite wrestling podcast to listen to. Very informative and fun with lots of sound bites that are now stuck in my head. I'm currently listening to the 2023 year in review, and I'm definitely going to go back and watch some of these matches and events that I missed out on. Keep up the great work. Royal Rumble 2024 is going to be the first wrestling show I attend. I'm super excited and also excited to see what you guys think of it once it happens. Well, guess what? It's going to be the first wrestling show I attend in about five years. So hopefully I will see you there, S-Bubs, or see perhaps some of you other fans there at Royal Rumble 2024. But that was a fantastic five-star written review. We greatly appreciate that. I also have one more five-star review, and this one comes from Mark for Old School. Perfect timing, he says. Five stars. Love the podcast. Been listening to The Silver King since the ITC days. Best pod out there for an unbiased, objective take on the world of WWE, AEW. Splash with the fandom for this art we all love. The Christmas weekend show came perfectly for us husbands and boyfriends wrapping gifts last minute. What about... <laughs> Wives and girlfriends, I'm sure they're doing some rapping too. But nevertheless, keep up the great work, gentlemen, he says. So Mark for Old School and S-Bubs, we greatly appreciate those reviews and allow me and Chris to acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. Let me also remind you off the top here that you can follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And when you do that, you get episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. But not only all of that, you get to do things like vote in pre and post-show polls surrounding pay-per-views and premium live events. And in this case, you get to vote for the 2023 Getting Over Awards, aka the Meaties. And voting for the Meaties wraps up Tuesday night. So this is your last reminder. Follow us, look for the ballot in our Twitter feed, and be sure to vote before Tuesday wraps up because we will present to you next week the 2023 Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. The Meaties. And with that, allow me to welcome that 
voice from a distance, vintage Chris Vanini to the show. Chris, you and I had a hell of a New Year's Day. Two incredible college football playoff semifinals. We somehow found the opportunity to watch Raw. Me a little bit delayed. I don't know if you got to watch it live. But nonetheless, if you put those three programs together, it was a hell of a start when it comes to sports and entertainment in 2024. Yeah, man, it was a lot of also with the new year. I got a couple messages from listeners uh, who just said they love the pod and appreciate everything. So shout out to you guys as well. Always love the feedback, whether it's review, Twitter, whatever. Uh, that was really nice to hear on New Year's. And then, yes, we get a crazy day of college football. I didn't see the start of Raw Live. I did. Uh, I did switch over to the rock segment, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. And the last game ended right as Seth and Drew began. So that kind of worked out as well. So I saw some of it live, some of it not. And uh, boy, there's a lot to talk about from that one show. Yeah, you know, when we initially decided to do the bonus WWE episode, which Mark from Old School mentioned a moment ago, you know, we did it mostly because we knew that New Year's week was going to be crazy just with our work. And we also knew that WWE didn't really have new shows. So it didn't make sense to like delay that episode, we had an opportunity to give you the year in review in the normal WWE episode space. And to what he said, we were able to give that extra WWE episode before Christmas weekend. And to my, I don't want to say shock or surprise or whatever, but you know, I always look at our metrics and how many listeners and downloads we get for individual episodes. That WWE episode, despite coming out on a Friday, was as listened to as our normal Tuesday show. And the year in review show that replaced it on Tuesday is doing monster numbers even bigger than last year. So I just appreciate everyone's support. The fact that you guys um, enjoyed that we did the bonus WWE show, I think it ended up working out. This is the point I'm getting to, Chris, because we end up having so much to talk about coming out of day one Monday night, where if we had to do SmackDown from like a week ago on top of that, it would have been absolutely brutal. Well, I'm glad to hear that the year in review numbers are doing well, because, man, we spent a lot of time on that (laughs) and three hours of recording. So I'm glad it was worth it. So thank you, everybody who has listened to that, uh, especially those who have listened to all of it, because we did put a ton into that. So glad to hear you guys are listening to it. Funny enough, I actually got a DM from one of our longtime listeners, Chase Goldstein. He goes, year in review was great again. It's become my favorite pod of the year. And he goes, they even gave you guys a few minutes overrun for the third hours. It's funny. It's like it's like an old <laughs> raw. We went like three hours and five minutes on that year in review. And I will say in retrospect, like I do wish I had cut it down just a little bit because three hours is a lot. We'll do the best we can. But I, I will say I'm doing something for 2024, Chris, which I did not do in 2022 or 2023, which is the only times we've done the year in review episodes. I've already started the year in review sheet for the year because I don't want to mm. miss anything. So hopefully the process in building the show is easier, cutting stuff out becomes easier, and maybe on you know last week of December this year, the show is shorter. But nevertheless, I'm glad everyone enjoyed it, and I didn't hear any complaints about the runtime, so that is fantastic. Uh, one other thing before we get into today's show, and we have an absolute ton to talk about. I just wanted to mention that Getting Over is still up for best wrestling podcast of 2023 from the Sports Podcast Awards. We have their ballot link pinned in our Twitter profile at Getting Overcast. All you need is an email to vote. I know how many of you listen to the show. This is a fan vote award. Voting is open, I believe, through the remainder of the month, but the sooner the better. And there are things you can do, you know, with email addresses and incognito browsers and some of those things to make sure that you support the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We'd greatly appreciate it, and it would mean a lot for us 
to get that honor. Now, Chris, as mentioned, we have an absolute ton to discuss today. The main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the last word are all coming up. But I'm afraid I've got some news. And this is a new segment here on Getting Over. We've only done it, I think, once, maybe twice. But we're going to hit you with some news items off the top of this show before we get into everything that happened on WWE Raw Day 1. First big news item, we actually teased it a little bit last week on the AEW World's End Instant Analysis, which, by the way, you can go back and listen to if you missed it from December 30th. But Kevin Dunn, his last day with WWE was December 31st. He has retired after more than four decades as the head of production and global television with WWE. He was basically Vince McMahon's right-hand man for the entirety of Raw's existence. And his ties with WWE, they actually go back to his father, who, as an old story goes, saved a bunch of important tapes from a fire decades ago. McMahon promised to take care of him, take care of the family. And basically, he gave his son a job for life. Dunn was a controversial figure in WWE for everything from his production style to how he was allegedly a yes man for Vince in many regards, to talent having problems with comments that he allegedly made on numerous different occasions. And much of the criticism he's received, let's be clear, it's been deserved, especially for the way WWE's production had been immensely overdone in recent years between headache-inducing camera cuts, the shaky camera stuff. I mean, we could go on with it. All that said, he was also innovative with WWE. And even if you happen to prefer like a more toned down wrestling presentation, it's tough to argue that WWE's production overall has not been best in class for decades. For live shows to mm-hmm. run as smoothly as WWE's run, and they're doing 52 weeks a year for the most part, now three episodes a week, that is immensely difficult. Just go and look at the production problems AEW faces weekly, despite being a five-year-old company on a major network themselves. Under his purview, let's not forget, Dunn, was also the video production team, Chris, which we and everyone has praised for years as being best in the industry, not just the wrestling industry, but literally the sports industry. Those incredible WrestleMania video packages and the match previews that we like, all of that has been under Dunn's stewardship. He really was like one of a kind when it came to his role in WWE. And while it's fair to focus on like the negative on a week-to-week basis, which we have done here, don't get me wrong, in the grand scheme, this dude did accomplish a lot and he is a reason, one of the reasons, why WWE is as popular as it is today. The other interesting element here is done long like fought against Stephanie McMahon and Paul Levesque as they gained control in WWE. I think he saw the youth movement you know, gaining traction and potentially his role over time getting reduced. And there have been long-held rumors that the couple, Stephanie and Paul, had tried to get him out as they grew in power within the organization. And it had always been assumed that if they ever took over, he would be out. Well, Stephanie resigned as CEO last year and WWE got sold. But Triple H has more power than ever before and Dunn has now retired. So, whether by their hand or not, it's fair to say that Triple H and Stephanie McMahon, at least in this regard, they won in the end. I am the game, JR. 
There is nobody that eats, sleeps, or breathes this business more than me. So, Chris, we'll see how much WWE's production changes going forward. On Raw Monday night, I didn't notice that much having changed. It did seem there was maybe a reduction in shaky cam, and maybe they lingered a little bit longer on certain camera angles, but it was way too tough to tell on a three-hour show that I watched while simultaneously viewing a football game. All in all, though, that is me wrapping up uh, Kevin Dunn's tenure in WWE, and I'm curious, of course, uh, what you have to say, and certainly if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, a big behind-the-scenes news. I think it's overstated in terms of anything we'll really notice, because I think at this point we know WWE is a machine. One of the funny things I always think about with Kevin Dunn is that he is... Um, he's name dropped in the Triple H My Time theme. He is back in the day. He says, "Hey, yo, Dunn, keep your finger off the switch." And I was thinking about how just uh, there's a lot of stuff in the Attitude Era. You had to be kind of really in the know to kind of understand what these things used to mean. But look, you're right. I, I think when I got back into WWE in the, in the early 2010s, um, Kevin Dunn was a frequent part of criticism by everybody mm-hmm. for all the things that that you just said, both. Uh, professionally and what he did with with work and stuff like that and i think the like you said the coming of AEW and realizing how many production not mistakes but just like little misses that they that they get how many things can go wrong yeah it made me appreciate more how well wwe does it that's not to take shots at AEW. the point is it's really hard it is it like it's it's very and it's it's a credit to wwe as a whole that it is such a good production company and kevin dunn was a big part of that but there are obviously lots of controversial things that have popped up with him over the years the one that stood out to me that i saw come up um was i think it was 2016 there was a report that he said becky lynch was not attractive enough right to be champion right and she at the time made one of her kind of subtweets about it at the time because of her uh, accent as well. She's she made a tweet about her accent because I think Kevin Dunn had maybe made a comment about her accent as well. So, uh, yeah, and there's, you know, various rumors and stories of, you know, the just the objectifying of women's wrestlers like mm-hmm. that uh, in the context of wrestling. So uh, a, a lot of good, a lot of bad. Um, we'll it will see what time if it's a big change or not, because, again, it just kind of happened. We're going to have to kind of like a commentary change. You're going to give it time to see if we really notice anything different. Exactly. And all that stuff's alleged, which is why I didn't specify it. But I mean, it's fine that you did. Uh, It's fine that you did, obviously. And, you know, it goes back to all the Vince McMahon and Kevin Dunn and Johnny Ace stuff. And, you know, we don't know what he was involved in, what he wasn't, what he said, what he didn't say. But enough people believe that he held certain beliefs and views of women, where which were obviously problematic, that they wanted him out of a significant role and being executive producer of the entire shebang uh, is a pretty significant role. So, you know, I, I do believe that's one of the reasons why Stephanie McMahon and Paul Levesque were obviously against him and, and wanted to bring in, of course, their own regime. Eventually, it's going to be real interesting to see the way his duties are spliced up between either people within the company. If they bring in someone new to oversee it, all that remains to be seen. But Kevin Dunn, as of January 1st, 2024, no longer a part of WWE. Let's move to the second news item, which is Andrade El Idolo, maybe soon Andrade Cien Almas. Once again, over the weekend, it was reported that Andrade was wrapping up his time with AEW. We were actually able to confirm this. 
And this was actually a controversial exit, even though it has not been painted as such by AEW, Tony Khan, or really, I don't think anyone else that's reported on it. So getting over learned that he or his lawyer, I would assume his lawyer agent, found language in his contract that somehow or another allowed him to leave early. And he did so with short notice and with plans to return to WWE. He did well in his last AEW match against Miro. He actually did well over the last two months. It's the best two months he's had in the entire company. He lost that match to Miro at World's End. He also lost his last CMLL match early in the week. And he had made a comment about a week ago or two weeks ago about needing to wrap up with CMLL because he wasn't sure he'd be able to wrestle there again. Now, it remains to be seen whether he will be able to wrestle in Mexico going forward, but we were told that he was set to debut, and we tweeted this, with WWE imminently as early as day one, Monday night during Raw. So Zelina Vega has tweeted this week the hush emoji, like she has a secret, but if it was me holding the book, I'd have still brought him out on Raw Monday. It is a much more significant level of shock value going from AEW to WWE in a 48-hour period on a huge, highly promoted show. No matter what, the end result here, Andrade expected back in WWE, of course, where Charlotte Flair has just re-signed. Charlotte out of action at least nine months with the torn ACL and knee problems. But Andrade, like, he may be on TV soon. I, I don't have a ton more to say that I didn't already say on our World's End uh, instant reaction if people uh, listened to that or didn't listen to that. Um, I don't I don't really care either way. Uh, Andrade just kind of doesn't do anything for me, whether it was in WWE or in AW. His best run was obviously the NXT bit and maybe Triple H being in charge could mm-hmm. kind of get back to that. But I mean, WWE roster is so loaded with so many over people right now that Andrade coming or not coming, like, doesn't make a difference to me either way. So we'll see um, if he, it makes sense to come back for all the reasons you said. Um, but, and I, I, I do agree that having him show up on WWE so quickly after AEW would have been another little like feather in the cap, so mm-hmm. to speak, like literally the day after his contract ends. But, but overall, I just kind of shrug. Yeah. You're not a huge Andrade fan and, that, and that's understandable and fine. I think, for people who saw him on main roster WWE primarily, you're just like, okay, like he was good and, you know, uh, rather unnotable, all things considered. His NXT mm-hmm. run was fantastic. His matches in mm-hmm. Mexico since he's left WWE have been incredible. And he has had some absolute freaking bangers in AEW, including during the Continental Classic. He also had a great match with Cody Rhodes. I believe that was the Flaming Table match, uh, which was, I think, oh, yeah. Cody's last or not. Maybe not last. One of his last in AEW. My mind is all messed up there. Uh, but he he's had individual great moments in AEW, but they just never put it all together for him from a character standpoint. His look has improved massively. Uh, just the way that the pants that he wears and the way he comes out. I actually liked his AEW theme better than his WWE theme, but his WWE theme is okay. Who knows the way he returns? Who knows how he re-debuts? Uh, but did want to mention that Andrade is indeed on his way back. Another uh, somewhat controversial figure that we need to discuss, Sasha Banks, Mercedes Verano, Mercedes Monet, you pick your name. So we have reported for weeks over on our buymeacoffee.com slash getting over 
uh, service, which I did not promote early in the show. We'll talk about that later. Uh, that WWE has been in negotiations with Mercedes with both sides thinking for weeks that a deal was close. Those reports were 100% accurate, period. Uh, as were reports from others that she was not expected to join AEW after there were conversations to that end last year. Something changed this weekend. I'm not sure if WWE was negotiating in good faith and thought she'd come down off her number, but she refused to budge, or if something was added that the sides could not agree upon, but it got to the point where WWE felt like they needed to leak, that they could not reach a deal with her. Now, there are reports that she will show up at AEW Dynamite on Wednesday. I would assume as like the mystery opponent from Mariah May or maybe post-match after that angle. But the conversation here is why would WWE not pay whatever it takes to bring Sasha Banks back? And look, I've said it before, Sasha to me is indeed worth more monetarily than Charlotte Flair, not only because of her skill and talent, but her relative youth. But just because WWE has money does not mean they need to overpay for talent. And if they saw her ask as ridiculous or unreasonable, that's a business decision that they need to make. Mercedes is immensely talented. She's immensely popular. I do think that popularity needs to be put in context. She's still very much in this wrestling bubble, despite being on The Mandalorian. And I know, Chris, you love that show and you love her on that show. But as you can clarify and confirm, I believe what? It's a relatively bit role. She's had a dozen lines. Am I correct about that? Yes. And we don't even know if the show is coming back. We don't so. know if the show is coming back. She's been doing it for a couple of years and nothing else has come out of it. It's not like she's breaking through in Hollywood like The Rock is right now, where you're like, oh my God, we absolutely have to capitalize on this. She walks some red carpets. She does this. She does that. She has popularity. I'm not downplaying her at all, but let's not make her out to be this mega star outside of wrestling when she's really just not. Now, let's not forget as well a couple related items here. WWE has been doing record business without her. The women's division is starting to soar again without her. WWE has a loaded women's roster that is only getting stronger by the day, both with free agents you have Jade Cargill, who hasn't yet debuted. There's rumors they may sign uh, Julia from Stardom. There's performance center talent getting called up, you know, month after month. WWE just re-signed Charlotte and Bailey, and now they're going to need to back up the truck for Becky Lynch, who, despite Mercedes being younger, Becky is still way better and way more popular than her overall. And finally, and this may be the most important item, Mercedes walked out on WWE before television. Now, did she have a legitimate reason to do that? It sure as hell seems like she did, but she walked out nonetheless. She also gets injured constantly. And don't forget, she missed that SummerSlam match against Bianca Belair two years ago. So if you're a WWE fan, does it suck that Sasha may not come back and we may never see the four horsewomen reunited in their prime? Absolutely, that sucks. Is it great for her that she has another place to go? And is it great for AEW if they ultimately sign her? Absolutely. This is going to be their biggest signing since Brian Danielson. It's huge. Is that a major loss for WWE not having her come in? Chris, I just really do not believe that to be the case. 
first off, um, I don't know if we agreed that she had a good reason to walk out on the company. You know, there are was, unreported. Over... There are unreported things. Okay, that yeah. make it seem as if she did. Now you could say it was still unprofessional to walk out. You do your job, and then you le- then you leave and quit after the show. Because at the time, you and I both criticized it, and I still I still do largely believe that if you're in the entertainment field and you have a live show to do, you don't walk out, you do your job, and then you leave after and you say F you and, and whatever. But the things that are rumored to have been said, I don't blame her and Naomi, now Trinity, for, okay. too, for being okay. upset that, about that. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. I just, okay. That's no, no, it was worth that. clarifying. Just, based, no, it's yeah. worth clarifying because I just said yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I just said it and I didn't give it context. So no, no, it was, yeah. I'm glad you noted it. Go okay. Ahead. Yeah. Totally fair. Yeah. Um, There was... There was a. I listened to Matt Cardona on Chris Van Vliet's podcast a couple weeks ago, and there was a comment that Cardona made that he remember he re-signed with WWE at a time right when AEW launched, and and that was when WWE was re-signing everybody to big deals because they didn't want anybody to jump to AEW, and they overinflated the roster mm-hmm. at the time for that, and and I'll come back to that because it's a good point. on its face yeah. for the for, on its face for the things you said. Yeah, WWE does not need Sasha Banks right now. They they are doing well, even though there are scores of women's injuries going on right now, and they, and they are a bit short uh, staffed in, in in some ways because uh, Charlotte's hurt and 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 other people are hurt. Um, what we've seen the last couple months is a deep women's division. I just said it before about Andrade, but like they don't need Andrade, you know? Because right, they don't. The company's hot. The thing's doing well. I do think Sasha Banks is on a much higher level than uh andrade obviously i don't know what the specific number was that sasha may or may not have been putting out there i'm always in favor of talent getting overpaid because Mm -hmm. you know might as well um because i i hope they would want us to get overpaid too you know what i mean (laughs) so like if if she does end up in aew i will be surprised that wwe sort of let it happen Mm mm-hmm and, and, and let her go because this is at a time when AW is at a low point right now. They are dealing with a lot of things. Numbers are down. MJF may be hurt. Adam Cole's hurt. Right. And Mercedes Monet, if it happens, would be a big boost to them. She's that, that worth is a star. more to them than she's worth to WWE. Yes. So the fact that WWE, if this is the way it plays out, is fine with that happening and fine with AW picking up a star and not willing to overpay and letting AW pick up a star also kind of makes me tell me, tells me where they think the relationship between the two companies is right now as well, which is I think notable uh, because as we said, one is doing really well, one is doing well, but not as well as it used to. So, and what you're saying, if WWE was still fearful of AW to a degree, they would just pay her. And yes. just say, we can't let her go. Because, you know, you, yes. you have to remember Brian Danielson and John Moxley, they were offered huge deals. They went to AEW for probably equal money, maybe even a little bit less because of quality of life and, and the flexibility. And, 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 the ed, and the edge thing was edge wanted to kind of get out, too. That was mutual. Like. It was a mutual split. Yeah. 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 So uh, Sasha Banks would bring a lot more than I think edge would. So absolutely. If, if, it ha- if it happens that way, I will be I will have been surprised. Um, but I think ultimately WWE will be fine without her. I think it'd be better if they did have her and whatever happens, I hope she gets paid. I hope she stays healthy. 
and I hope she does well. Yeah, WWE will be fine without her. AEW will be much better with her. And having her there really gives Tony Khan the motivation to actually book the women's division as something that matters. Because then you have Mercedes Monet, hopefully Jamie Hayter coming back from injury, and some other extremely talented women. Serena Deeb is coming back. Thunder Rosa just came back. All of a sudden, their women's division, I mean, it's not on par with WWE, but it's looking strong if they bring her in. But you got to book them. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If you go back a year and a half or so, okay, and you said whatever time that they were together, if you said WWE and AEW, Mm -hmm. if you could trade Sasha Banks for Jade Cargill, would you do it? And Sasha's happy and healthy? Yes, I'm just saying, like, between the two, like, if you had said a year and a year and a half, two years ago, whatever, if you could trade Sasha Banks for Jade Cargill, would you do it? No. Because that's kind of what happened. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I would not, no. Yeah, I don't think I would either, but that's, it's it's kind of what end up, it's, it maybe end up kind of what sort of happened with, 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 I would trade, losing a, losing one of their biggest women stars, but then potentially gaining one who's, bigger if you if you're doing one-for-one conversations like that i would rather have sasha than jade i would rather have jade than edge because he doesn't he just doesn't if you're wwe he just doesn't move the needle anymore and he doesn't he he doesn't he doesn't want to work actually he doesn't want to work those four or five matches a year that wwe wanted him to do yeah, that's what he claims. I do take it back jade is 31 for some reason i thought she was in yeah sasha's like what is she 28 uh, Sasha is, but yeah, I, I thought Jade was older than that. In which case she didn't have as many years left, but she, yeah, uh, they're both 31. S- Sasha makes is 31. According to, Google. wow. I thought she was still in her twenties. Um, but yeah, regardless, like I, I would take Sasha over Jade 10 times. I mean, it's, it's not even a, a question for me, mm-hmm. but again, like if you're doing these one-on-one trades, I'd rather have CM Punk than edge. If I was WWE, obviously, um, I'd rather have Cody than I'm trying to think who went over there. That was, I don't even know there. I guess they haven't, they haven't taken a Cody esque type of equivalent guy yet. No, you can't really make that comparison, but no, I mean, it would, it kind of would have been like Adam Cole, Brian Danielson. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a tough one. Actually, if you were going to, even if you combined them, because Cody is, I mean, he's top of the game right now. And Brian's incredible, but Brian's also, that may be equal. Like Brian, for what AEW wanted and needed, is probably good for them. And Cody's much better in WWE, I would say. I, I agree. I yeah. agree. All right, let's move on. But that was a good question and a good addition to it. Speaking of CM Punk, he was backstage at Raw in San Diego for day one. And some of you may not have known that because... He didn't get on TV. And we spoke about this, Chris, regarding Cody Rhodes a couple months ago. I I don't understand why you fly someone like him in and have him backstage for a show of this magnitude and don't put him on TV. Like, it doesn't hurt just putting him in a segment, whatever he's going to do next week. You could have done a backstage segment. Remember the interaction with The Rock and John Cena a couple months ago on SmackDown? You could have done the exact same thing, but with CM Punk. You could have had him meeting with Adam Pearce and having a quick conversation. You could have had Seth Rollins walk by him as he's having a conversation with someone else, give him a side eye, and Rollins then focus for his championship match. Why not use him? It just, it seems like he was there to tape something, maybe for this WWE 2024 preview special, which is going to air Thursday, I think 8 p.m. on Peacock. Apparently, 
Triple H is going to have an announcement on it and there's going to be unique content on the show. I think a punk interview is going to be one of those items. But again, Chris, if he's there, he should have been on the show. Yes. And I, I'm going to assume the reason he wasn't was because Seth and Drew McIntyre was happening mm-hmm. and they didn't want, and it was the main event of the show and they didn't want any distractions or they, they wanted the focus on Seth mm-hmm. Drew. And if that's the case, I get it. But man, like you said, we just had the rock scene a bit backstage. That's what we always say. When you get one of these guys in town, just do something like that. Put two people who have a history together backstage. Like if you put CM Punk and the rock backstage, just look at each other and, and maybe they make up and they're fine. Maybe they don't, but like the rock main eventing WrestleMania 29 without CM Punk it, who, who the rock took the title off of CM Punk. Mm-hmm. That's a major reason CM Punk <laughs> left the company. You Absolutely. Know? Like, yes. It, it, it's, it was, it just, you would have loved to just do something like, could that. you that, imagine some moment? Could you imagine combining the two things I just said? So the rock and punk, like look at each other and maybe they give a nod, but there's tension and heat. And then Seth Raw and then Rock leaves and Seth Rollins walks by. He looks at Punk and he cackles in his face because of that. And then he goes to the ring like done. That's all you needed to do. You use Punk and you're done. And it doesn't take away from next week and it doesn't take away from the match. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I thought I thought it could have been used. Uh, two other quick items and then we'll get to everything else, of course, from WWE this week in terms of what happened on day one. It was reported Monday by PW Insider that WWE is moving back to two-man announce booths on both shows, which means Raw, clearly, we saw Monday, staying with Michael Cole and Wade Barrett. But if they go two-man on Friday, that means you would have to expect Cole comes off SmackDown with that show reverting to Kevin Patrick and Corey Graves. and. I mean, there's only really one term for that. Zero point zero. I don't understand, Chris, the infatuation with Kevin Patrick, but guy's got to go. He's ill-fitted for the role. We've given him time, all the time, double time. WWE has to be able to do better than him. They have Vic Joseph kicking ass every Tuesday in NXT. And I know for a while I said, hey, you know what? Maybe he doesn't want to leave because Mackenzie Mitchell... Uh, fiance, maybe now wife is there, but they fired her. <laughs> so, so she's gone. So now put him on the road, get him on your, on your number two, number one show. And if not him, they got to do something because the Kevin Patrick experiment in terms of play by play, it, he can do the kickoff shows. He can do interviews. He can do anything else in terms of play by play. It just does not work. Yeah. I mean, on the surface, look, when they announced the change and had Michael Cole doing both shows, I was like, man, that's a lot of work for Michael Cole, right. who has been doing this forever. And if it's only simply because, like, look, Michael Cole can't do that all the time. And uh, OK, I do like two man boots more. They've been doing three man boots for so long that it just it doesn't work. And since they've gone back to two man boots, starting with Cole and McAfee, then Cole Barrett. It's just, it works a lot more. You develop a chemistry. Totally. That, that, so like, I am not been a, not been a big Kevin Patrick person. I, I dislike his work less than I used to in the sense that I at least don't notice it much anymore. But, and, and I do wonder if going back to a two-man booth with Graves and Kevin Patrick will be different or easier. I, I don't know. 
Um, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's not great, man. I still don't get why they got rid of Jimmy Smith. Um, I, I don't get why great. they got rid of Tom Phillips. Tom Phillips too. Same thing. Why? You know, why? I, I got, still don't guys understand out there who were doing a, who were doing a really good job. So, yeah. uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see, I guess. Um, don't really, I mean, there's no other real changes other than I hope a two man booth will help. Cause sometimes like Corey Graves is, is really good at color commentary. And sometimes he'll do the heel stuff really, really well. Mm-hmm. And he'll make, you know, he'll take shots at Kevin Patrick and Kevin Patrick doesn't really know how to handle it. You know, <laughs> right. He, I know. He can't handle it like, like gorilla monsoon could handle Bobby, the brain Heenan or the way Jim Ross could hand, handle Jerry Lawler. Sometimes, you know, like you need, you need to kind of go back and forth a bit. And sometimes he's a bit too pro sports announcery, which is what he also does with his life. Mm-hmm. Um, wrestling announcing is different. And so we hope maybe in a two man booth, we get some more better back and forth. That's my hope. He's really good calling soccer for MLS. Really like, good. He's really good, Kevin Patrick, but he's not really good at wrestling. It's just, it's just the way it is. I'm sorry. I don't like that. Uh, lastly, and this one. But I'm afraid I've got some bad news. So Raquel Rodriguez announced Monday night that she has what's called mass cell activation syndrome. Basically, her entire face blows up and breaks out. And she's recently been off of television due to these extreme allergic reactions. So for those wondering why she lost that match and she hasn't been used since, that's your answer. Obviously, we wish her the best. We hope she's happy and healthy in the new year. And obviously, we hope she's healthy enough eventually to return to WWE television. So just wanted to mention that as one final news item as we wrapped up this segment, Chris. It is now time for us to get into everything that happened across Raw on Monday night for that special day one show. We're going to kick it off in a major way. And as always on this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, we begin by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. A quick overview of Raw on Monday. So Michael Cole and Wade Barrett, they started day one in the ring doing a live introduction to the crowd, not only to start the show, but also to run down the card. I saw that there were some fans who absolutely loved this. Chris, I was mixed on it. Like, I want my wrestling shows to start with pyro or cold opens. I'm not sure I need a whole rundown of the card. But what I will say is if they only do this for special shows like day one, and it's not every single week, that is something I could buy as it ups the ante on the shows and makes them feel special. Again, Every once in a while, fine, just not every week. Yeah, look, AEW starts off with a hot intro, pyro, and then they go down the card. You know, like, like so like, sometimes it works. I, I think they do it too much. I think it's sometimes a bit of an overload. Um, I think for this show, you know, it was a weird show. I, I was honestly only half paying attention again because of football and everything. So um, I, I didn't have strong feelings either way. I guess we'll see if it continues. All right. So one other note about Raw, and then we'll get into everything. It was really interesting that there were real limited segments Monday night, despite it being a three-hour show. And despite there being limited segments, for me, it flew by. And that's without backstage interruptions to kind of break things up. Basically, everything happened in and around the ring. And while most weeks that might be a bit boring, 
it actually worked here because the San Diego crowd was excellent for 95% of the show. The booking was on point and th- that crowd that I just mentioned was indeed sold out. So I wanted to give them credit and I just wanted to give credit to the way the show was structured as well. Yeah, it, it did feel big. It did feel special. They made this feel like a Monday night pay-per-view. And I think everything about it, the crowd, the matches, they made it feel bigger than normal. And that was the goal. So mission accomplished. Yeah, mission accomplished for sure. Okay, let's get into the main event, which this week is actually a double main event, despite us only having one three-hour show to review. So Samantha Irvin, friend of the show, at 9.50 p.m., announced the return of a former WWE champion. And after a short delay, Jinder Mahal came out to absolute dejection throughout the entire crowd. Michael Cole sold it as disappointing, but I will say in the first moment I saw him, Jinder looked damn good in this black velvet Mm -hmm. suit with his hair done, his beard nicely trimmed. He cut a promo about being one of 50 WWE champions, like it or not. He shit on the United States a little bit. Then he recited the national anthem in Punjabi and turned it around on the crowd for booing their own national anthem. Jinder actually got some heat and it was honestly one of his best promos ever, which may not be saying much, but is nevertheless true. He made numerous specific references using certain words in the promo to tease what was coming. And then just as he paused and was ready to keep going and the crowd was being lulled to sleep, I mean, The crowd was dead. The Rock's music hit and the arena simply fucking erupted. I mean, The Rock was teased and this still came off like a bigger pop than the surprise in Denver a couple months ago. Jinder had mentioned the Iron Sheik earlier in his promo, so The Rock turned that on its head. He impersonated the Sheik and insulted Mahal, calling him an asshole, unbleeped. The Rock hit all of his classic marks. He was self-deprecating about Baywatch being a bomb movie. He got <laughs> he got a call and response, day one douchebag chant going for gender. Then The Rock sang a remixed verse of the Star Spangled Banner and, and used it to insult Mahal. And it was really good, like surprisingly good the way he did it. Gender attacked and Rock came back with a spine buster and people's elbow. And usually that's where this ends. Except The Rock, who he was blowed a little bit, he was huffing and puffing, He picked up the microphone again. He started saying thank you and goodbye to the San Diego crowd. And then he said this. One more thing. Tonight, after all this ass kicking, The Rock is going to go out in San Diego. I'm a little hungry. I'm going to go get something to eat. When The Rock goes out to get something to eat tonight in San Diego, should The Rock sit in a booth? Or should The Rock sit at the bar? (laughs) Yeah, The Rock loves a bar too. Or should The Rock sit at the head of the table. I mean, holy shit, Chris. This, my friend, was as expert level, as expert level booking 
can be. Starting with the perfect swerve by Triple H, having Jinder out there, taking every person in that building to an all-time low. Everyone watching on TV to an all-time low before The Rock blows the roof off the place. And then having viewers think the entire segment is over only to end it on an all-time high with a Roman Reigns call-out. I straight up cackled when Mahal first came out, even knowing what was to come. Jinder, we gotta give this guy credit here, okay? He was immensely strong on his own, in a ring, dealing with an angry, disappointed crowd that had zero desire to see him on their uh, in their ring or for us on their screen. If you actually listen to his promo, I know he was talking about America and some people hate that kind of heel work. It was actually kind of nuanced what he was saying. And then he held his own one-on-one with the great one on the mic, which is a huge credit to him. It is not easy to be in the ring with the rock of all people and Mahal never flinched. So let's not hinder gender on this podcast. But not only that, his entire reveal, I'm not sure if people noticed this, it was Triple H allowing WWE to be self-deprecating by basically putting its worst champion ever in its history in terms of the WWE championship out there in the middle of the ring for all to see and for all to boo. The audible groan from the crowd when Jinder's theme hit was music to my ears and it was so good, I almost wanna cut it for the show so that when something really disappoints us, we can just play that reaction. Maybe I'll actually do it. But look, I know what really matters here is The Rock. And Chris, this well, was- hold, hold on, hold on. Let, let me go talk about gender before we get in The Rock. Is that okay? Go, yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought okay. you didn't want well, to, but go for it, yeah. So like, I was, I, I'm one of the few people who thinks gender's run as, a, as WWE champion was good. It was just, poorly booked because he always had to get the same cheating to win. Right. But the concept of it for a good period of time, it worked. And he was a nuanced heel for the, basically he used to cut those promos that he cut in this one mm-hmm. where he basically was like, you guys are just being jingoistic. Why are you booing me for speaking another language? Like he ain't wrong. Right. You know? he, he, like, he's not the heel where it's, I hate America because I hate America. Yeah. It's I hate these certain things about America. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. so like, I thought he did a pretty decent job. We Everybody hated him, and that was the point. And he was really solid on the mic during that period of time. So what he did in the segment of The Rock did not surprise me because I've always thought uh, ever since then that he was underrated. Um, so, yes, he did a good job here. And before, before that, I hated – I didn't like that tease from Triple H. One, to, to just say that because then we knew, look, we saw The Rock on Saturday – uh, I'm sorry, on Sunday during the NFL pregame show, we saw my college game day. We know he's in LA. And at that point, like, I knew it was The Rock. Like, I think most of us knew it was going to be The Rock. I think the crowd knew it was going to be The Rock because, like, the final, like, 10 to 20 seconds of that gender promo, everybody in the crowd stands up. Did you notice that? Yes, they because they knew this couldn't up. be it. And you know why, Chris? They knew that couldn't be it. Because Vince McMahon ain't got the book anymore. Because if it was Vince, they would do this and just troll the entire crowd and that would be it. But in a case like this, they're like, okay, clearly something has to be coming here. Yeah. And so I just, it it made the whole thing a little bit, just a little weird because it was less surprising when it happened. And again, we did see The Rock again just a couple months ago do Mm -hmm. this exact same thing. And and so I, I was just, most of this time, most of this entire thing, I was like, all right, like, it's fine. I honestly, it's, it felt like they had to go long, they by did. the way. Yeah. 
because of the injury that happened earlier in the show, which we'll get to. And you could tell they kind of had to drag this out a little bit. But I just got kind of bored because it was Rock doing the exact same thing he did a couple weeks ago. And I was like, okay, what? Like, all right, this is, it's nothing, whatever the Rock's here. And then he's starting to talk about, I'm going to go eat at the, at the booth, at the bar. And I'm like, is he about to make a pie joke again? What are we I doing? thought he was and, making a Poontang pie joke. Yeah, so I did, did I. too. And then he says, and, yes. and then he, and I'm, he's kind of like half paying attention. And then he goes, head of the table. And it was like that sit forward meme. You mm-hmm. know, like, well, like whoa, okay. <laughs> All right, now, now we're talking about something here. So it, it, it came around and got me in the end for sure. But for a good chunk of it, I was just kind of met on it. But yes, then he drops that line and let's talk about it. Sure. And I kind of, I forgot to play this already. I just want you guys to hear the pop when it goes from Ginger to The Rock. But also my nugget. I really just wanted to play Michael Cole's yeah, because it was so freaking funny in the moment. No, that's a drop we need to add to the show. It is something we like. It is. That's fantastic. Um, But like I was saying right before you went on the gender thing, and that's great. I'm glad you did. What really mattered here was The Rock. Gender, great. Glad he got his opportunity. But The Rock is what matters. And this, for me, was the best he has been on a mic in WWE in quite some time. And probably that's the case because he had a specific direction for the first time in like a decade. And it was far more planned out of a segment than what we usually get from him when he shows up. He also looked great. He's still immensely jacked, but he's way smaller than he was before the writer's strike began. And he's even smaller than when he was on SmackDown just a couple months ago. I'm not saying he's normal sized by any means, but it's the most normal that he's looked in a long time. Now we can talk about what he said at the end and the forthcoming possibilities with Roman Reigns, but in review of what we got on TV, Chris, this was fantastic. I just really appreciated the way everything was executed. Even Samantha Irvin and the guys on commentary, they just did a great job selling this entire deal. The Rock, when he shows up, it's just special. And you made that point a moment ago about, we just saw him a couple months ago. And I think that's a completely legitimate and fair point in that how big is the pop going to be when you already just got it not that long ago? But I think what people forget, especially when it comes to The Rock himself, is that The Rock is one of maybe only two people, the other one being Stone Cold Steve Austin, and I kind of want to put The Rock above him in a class of his own to this degree, where they can show up at a stadium or an arena and get anywhere between 10,000 and 60,000 to 70,000 people just absolutely lose their shit on a moment's notice. And yes, there's other huge celebrities in the world, Bad Bunny and Taylor Swift and all these people, no question. But The Rock literally is electricity. And when you have that entrance, that the start of it, do you smell what The Rock is cooking and the entirety of it with the music and the lights and the vibe that you get when he comes out, he points to the goosebumps, he does all of that. Let's not get this twisted when it comes to The Rock, okay? He is immensely wealthy. He's immensely popular and famous. He can 
probably buy almost whatever he wants and do almost whatever he wants. But there are certain things, Chris, that money cannot buy. And you could be a billionaire in Saudi Arabia or wherever, and you could pay 60,000 people to fill a stadium and cheer for you when you walk out, but it's not genuine. You cannot buy reactions like The Rock got Monday night and previously on SmackDown on that Denver show. And if you're The Rock and you're immensely wealthy and famous and popular and you can go anywhere and do anything you want, there's still that crowd pop that you seek and that you desire. Who would not want to experience that as often as you possibly can? He points to those goosebumps on his arm. That shit is genuine because could you imagine being the type of person who could literally just have their music hit and walk out into an arena filled of people and get a reaction like that. So people, you know, who come back and say, oh, The Rock's 51, I'm done seeing The Rock. Hey, we just saw him a couple months ago. Like, how special is it even, really? It is special. And it's not just special to you. It's clearly special to him based on the way he reacts to the way the crowd reacts to him. So I just wanted to say that before we dive into the depths of storytelling and what may be to come this was a really special moment. It was special previously in Denver. And really, you can tell that it's special to him as well. For sure. I, I popped way more for the Denver one because I was truly surprised by that. Maybe I shouldn't have been, but I was surprised by it. This one wasn't surprising for all the reasons we said. But yeah, let's get into what he said. All right. So let's dive into that. Because coming out of that monumental moment, The Rock mentioning Reigns, even without using his name, it is a monumental moment. I'm not using that term flippantly. This is something that we have been waiting and wondering whether it would actually transpire for years now, really, since the start of the Tribal Chief gimmick. I feel like WWE viewers, and to quote LA Knight, this is not an insult, but just a fact of life, have been so beat down by Vince McMahon's like over-the-hill booking for so long that they continue jumping to pessimistic outcomes when something significant happens that is surprising to them on television, rather than being patient and letting things play out. What we have learned from this Triple H era of creative, with a few exceptions to be fair, is that patience is usually rewarded. So the quick twitch reaction from at least a section of viewers is, LOL, Look at Cody Rhodes not getting to finish his story again. No wonder he hasn't yeah. re-signed his contract yet, even though they've agreed to terms. He's just going to go back to AEW. Keeping the title yeah. on Roman was so stupid. Maybe Cody will main event WrestleMania 41 instead. What a wasted year. All of this stuff. And yes, if Vince was still in charge of creative, I would not blame you for being Tom Simkowski and jumping to these conclusions. I hope some of you got that reference. But it's not... Vince McMahon show. It's Paul Levesque's show. If anything, Cody finishing his story has only been mentioned more over the last month, not less, including multiple times Monday night. It's the entire basis of the feud with Shinsuke Nakamura. If they were pushing Cody out of the WrestleMania main event or not having him win the title in due time, they would not be continuing to hammer that storyline on the same show where The Rock returned. So let's just get that straight. Now, should a match the caliber of Rock Roman 
be held at WrestleMania? Yes, it absolutely should be. It's the biggest possible match that WWE can put together full stop. Just because that caliber of match, though, should be held at WrestleMania does not mean it is going to be held at WrestleMania. And there are all different types of reasons for that to be the case. Let's not forget the top storyline in WWE in 2023. It truly ended, or not ended, but it had one of its climax moments at Elimination Chamber in Montreal. So there's precedent now for Chamber to be as big a showcase as the Royal Rumble. Let's not forget this year's Chamber is being held in Perth, Australia, inside a rugby stadium. Capacity was 73,000 for an Ed Sheeran concert a couple years ago. WWE has sold nearly 50,000 tickets already and has plenty of space to sell more with two months left until that show. You know who can move 15,000 tickets? The Rock in his first match in a decade against his cousin, whether for the WWE title or the title of Tribal Chief. There is also legitimate material out there that has been found and reported on by Australian media showing the Perth government was interested in The Rock attending and was willing to pay to make it happen. I repeat, this is a stadium show. It's huge. And it's something like 40 days before WrestleMania. One could even argue, Chris, Mania doesn't need The Rock because it's massive anyway. Let's not forget, there may also be schedule considerations for Dwayne Johnson, the actor. What if he's not available in April? If Rock has availability in late February and you can make this match, look, the dude is 51 and he's one of the top stars in Hollywood. Who knows when an opportunity like this is going to come around again? Let's also not forget that, hey, look, this is probably not going to be a great match. Like it might be Brock Lesnar Goldberg type of like a five minute bout, which if they can do that would be great, but that would be a letdown as a WrestleMania main event, not a letdown in another venue. Let's put into perspective that Cody potentially beating Roman just 40 days after Reigns takes down the rock of all people would make the win for Rhodes even bigger than it already yep. is. You could yep, even have Cody win Elimination Chamber, the men's one, and then come out after the main event and stare down Reigns to end the show. Let's also remember 2023 ended or began, I should say, with Reigns against Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, and then Cody Rhodes during WrestleMania season. This year, he could go Randy Orton or a multi-man match, The Rock and Cody Rhodes. You need to put Roman in the biggest matches possible. So that's where I'll take a breath here. I'll let you get in, Chris. I know you have a lot to say, but I do think people are freaking out and jumping to conclusions over something that may actually be booked as perfectly as possible to maximize The Rock, Roman Reigns, and Cody Rhodes, all three in the end. Yes, on all those points. I tell you what, I tell you what the perfect way to book it, and I can going to continue to come back to it, is that if Cody had won the belt at WrestleMania <laughs> this past year and everything played out the same pretty much, it uh, that would also work out perfect. You'd have Rock Roman at WrestleMania, no title, boom, boom. It's easy. Like it's it's all it's all right there. Just saying. Also, because again, Cody has not gone through much adversity this year. We'll get into that when we get into the WrestleMania kind of type of season stuff. Also, while you were talking, uh, Becky Lynch tweeted a picture of her and The Rock backstage and said, one of us was asking the other for advice on how to beat up their cousin, which is pretty funny. Mm -hmm. So so what are the options here? 
Um, would it be weird for The Rock to do his return match in Australia? Yes. Mm-hmm. But remember when Shawn Michaels came out of retirement to do a Saudi Arabia match mm-hmm. that we all try to pretend didn't happen? This is not unprecedented if uh, the Australian government wanted The Rock there or something like that. Like, I, I could totally see it. That, that is, to me, that is the only way it makes sense. They are not going to move away from Roman Cody after what they did last year. You can't. They know that. That was the whole thing Triple H did in explaining it. Right. After after WrestleMania as to why they didn't make the decision there. So, and look, when The Rock returned the first time, his first match back was not WrestleMania against John Cena. It was a tag match with John Cena mm-hmm. against Awesome Truth at Survivor Series mm-hmm. uh, the, the previous November. So, yeah. If I had to guess that that's my thought that if I had to, if I had to pick a booking, it's it's that it's the rock Roman in Australia and you do it there. I kind of I wanted Rhea Ripley to be the main event of that show, but it's a stadium show. It's the rock. I get it. I, I will say let's remember, we point- just we just recently discussed how Bad Bunny was not the main event of Backlash and that yes. should have been the case, but it also made sense why he wasn't. Sorry, go ahead. Yes. And I'll say at in the moment, my reaction to rock saying that was not, Oh man, they're doing WrestleMania. It's Oh, the rock already said he's been talking about fighting Roman reigns on the Pat McAfee show. Right. You know, let's, let's put this in kayfabe now so we can at least have that conversation in here because it was extremely weird how every wrestling fan could say the rock was going to wrestle Roman reigns at, at, at mania. They had these plans, but that's only if you were like, paying attention to things outside of Mm -hmm. the WWE universe. So my first thought was, oh, they're just, they're putting it out there now. So now we can talk about it within kayfabe. As for what happens. Yeah. My ideal situation would be that you do it at elimination chamber in Perth. And if it goes well, then you give rock a mania match. If, if, if he can go, if he's got it, if he's not hurt, if he's got the time, that, that's assuming he's the available. Is there for yeah, that's assuming he's yeah, even available yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah. If he's available, if he can do it. Because remember, the last time he wrestled, he got hurt. Right. Against John Cena at WrestleMania 29. So like, it, and, and as as John Cena said during the writer strike, when that strike ended or the actor strike, he couldn't wrestle anymore because of like insurance reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the Rock has to stay healthy. So, I think you maybe you do it in Australia, you do an easy safe match. If it goes well and everybody feels like, hey, we can do another one of these, you you figure out something for him to do at Mania. Look, there are other ways this can go, too, that still have solid outcomes, right? Now, I don't want to put this out there in the the universe, but okay, let's make believe that Roman and Rock fight at WrestleMania and Cody does something else. Let's just make believe that is what happens. They could still do Cody and Rock at SummerSlam in the main event with Cody winning, and it could still be massive. I would say that's the worst case scenario. Here. The other option, and this is what we talked about going into WrestleMania 39 when we were booking the damn territory together, is you could have Roman Reigns and The Rock on night one for the title of head of the table or just a regular title match. And you can still have Cody main event night two against Reigns. I hate that. We, we talked about it then. I hate the idea of Roman wrestling both nights. <laughs> That's fine. It's okay if you hate it. I'm just saying it's it's an yeah. option. It's one of the options that they can do. Yes. And it would protect Reigns if he gets into this 
huge brawl, maybe even a no DQ match with The Rock, and he's hurt and injured, then he goes and fights Cody, and they have an absolute banger, and Cody wins, it somewhat protects Roman Reigns. No. And the fact Roman that- Roman doesn't need to be protected. He's been the champion for a thousand I days. I don't want to protect Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. I know. That's why I hate it. I'm just discussing options. My point is, I don't believe that Rock's return affects Cody actually becoming WWE champion in 2024 whatsoever. I think by far, the most likely scenario is- having Reigns, Rock, main event of Elimination Chamber, Cody win Elimination Chamber for the number one contendership, and then he confronts him, and they have that match 40 days later at WrestleMania. You have five weeks plus to build that match, and you've already built it plenty, so you don't even need five weeks, but you would have it nonetheless. That's most likely. Maybe the second most likely, yeah, maybe it's Reigns, Rock at WrestleMania, and maybe Cody gets his match at SummerSlam instead. That's really not the end of the world. The goal is Cody being WWE champion, not main eventing WrestleMania, which by the way, he already did last year. So I just don't, I think people are, some people are looking at this and rather than taking away the key point, and I'll repeat what that key point is. Should The Rock sit at the head of the table? rather than focusing on the fact that we're gonna get The Rock and Roman Reigns in the damn ring together, they're worried about the Cody aspect that you just don't need to worry about under Paul Levesque, under Triple H. He made it clear, as you mentioned, after the WrestleMania 39 show in that press conference, that if they they had a plan for this and if they did not believe in that plan, they maybe would have changed the title that night. It seems obvious. They teased it a couple months ago on that SmackDown where Reigns and Cody went face to face. It seems blatantly obvious to me that match is still on. It's still going to main event night two of WrestleMania 40 and The Rock will fit in at some point in between now and then. I'm not worried about that. I really do not believe fans should be worried about it either. No, I I think it's fine to have the debates. What should happen? This and that. There were a lot of people who made funny jokes about Cody returning to AEW that was just poking fun at the whole thing. So like, it's not like everybody's complaining about it or whatever, but yes, again, I'm not worried. I I, I do believe they will do a good thing. The right thing. I do believe Cody's going to beat Roman Reigns at the end. It's the whole, it's the whole point of all this. I still think it should have happened last year, but that's fine. But yeah, man, like we, we can talk about what we think could happen, should happen, yada, yada. But no, I don't think we're getting Roman rock to main event night two with no Cody whatsoever. Some people are like, oh, could Cody? I, I, saw, I saw someone say Randy Orton beats Roman at Rumble. I saw that too. Up. Co- yeah. Cody, Cody, Randy for the belt and Roman. I was like, no, dude, Roman Reigns is not dropping the belt to Randy Orton. I know Randy Orton's a legend, but like Ra- Roman Reigns is dropping the belt to Cody Rhodes. Right. That is the point of having a 1000 day champion. So when you have the new champion, it's face of the company type of guy. And that's what Cody is and will be. It's going to be okay. It's been a bumpy road at times around this, but we're still getting there. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, let's move to the second part of this main event. The World Heavyweight Championship match, which main evented day one Raw on Monday night, Seth Rollins against Drew McIntyre. So there was a long video package preceding it and there was promotion throughout, but I would not really say the match was built over the course of the show. More just like promoted as something 
that was coming up. And you can have intelligent disagreements on whether they did that well enough. Rollins was funny going to the ring. I don't know if you noticed this. He was dapping up fans on the ramp and he almost dapped up a guy in a CM Punk shirt. And then he like relented and like pulled back. And then ultimately he said hi, but like he at least hesitated when he was doing it. So in the match, uh, McIntyre caught Rollins on a tope suicida with a release belly to belly suplex at ringside. Rollins back gave out trying to lift McIntyre, but he dodged him into the post and hit a tornado DDT and frog splash. McIntyre dodged a springboard moonsault. Rollins hit the run-up superplex, but McIntyre actually reversed the Falcon Arrow that followed. Drew added an avalanche white noise and avoided a stomp and hit a future shock DDT. Rollins then countered a Claymore into a Liger Bomb. McIntyre missed another Claymore with Rollins hitting Pedigree for a false finish. Suddenly, Damian Priest and Dominic Mysterio entered with the Money in the Bank briefcase. The referee got distracted and Priest drilled Rollins with the briefcase. McIntyre, though, prevented the cash-in by running outside the ring and hitting a Claymore into the briefcase through Priest's head. Then he took out Dom with another release belly-to-belly at ringside and hit Rollins with the Claymore for the one, two, three? Except Drew pulled Seth's legs way too far on the cover. They say hook the leg. They don't mean to hook it like that. And Seth's foot touched the bottom rope. And then... It did fall apart a little bit. Instead of just continuing in the ring and hitting him with a Future Shock DDT or another Claymore, McIntyre completely lost his cool. He pulled Rollins out onto the announce table. He was going to hit some kind of move there. Rollins countered into a pedigree, rolled Drew inside, hit the stomp, and escaped with the championship. My heavens, did they swerve the shit out of me here, Chris. That Claymore was it, man. Like, It was an excellent finish with the foot on the rope. You just have to admit, even if you don't like the outcome, the finish with the foot right in front of the viewer. So only we can see it at the very top of the screen. And then as the referee notices it, we see it in full. That was incredible. I thought that it was accidental at first and they might ignore it. And then Rollins could like contest it, but it ended up being the exact finish that they wanted it to be. McIntyre would have looked extremely strong thwarting Priest and Dom before beating Rollins clean. Obviously, that's more of a babyface booking, but the crowd was primed for the title change. And Seth, once again, lucked into retaining the title in kayfabe. I do want to extrapolate this out in a moment, moving past day one and what this now means. In terms of Monday night, it was an excellent main event with a finish that put McIntyre over as world championship material, yet completely excused the loss as Rollins retained. It also fit perfectly into McIntyre's current gimmick, losing due to things that are either out of his control or because of something he does unintentionally that negatively affects him. It was a perfect capper to a really strong day one show, both in and out of the ring. And while I do have a lot of concerns that I'm going to mention in a minute, this was a hot match probably as hot as it could have been without a title change. 4.25 stars and an A. Man, I <laughs> I was deflated after this because they nailed everything up to the finish, mm-hmm. which they did, which they did. I mean, they didn't mess up the finish. It just deflated me because I wanted Drew McIntyre to win. I thought that vignette was amazing. That the pre-match promo video. Like th- that's the exact type of thing I always want in these videos, which is, Photos of them as children, photos of him with his mom, who who's 
who's who died talking about Becky Lynch and, and that promo and the, and the photos there. Like I connected with that so incredibly like, man, I feel for this guy. And then in that promo, they cut to Seth Rollins saying, you say this stuff, but your actions are doing it differently. So like they nailed the nuance of that story. But man, I came into this match. I, I said McIntyre was going to win. I wanted McIntyre to win. Same. After that, vi- after that video, I was like, man, I really want Drew McIntyre to win this. <laughs> same. Like, and, <laughs> which was the same, which was the same thing we had with Seth and uh, Seth and Finn at SummerSlam. Right. And they, so like they didn't, they didn't nail the Claymore. They kind of missed him. They didn't, he didn't do the slap right. We didn't really hear it, but he does the pin and the camera's like right there. And I'm like, what is going on here? Like Seth's eyes are open. I was like, what, what is this? And then he goes one, two. And I see the foot on the rope and I go, Oh no, Oh no, no, we're doing this again. And then everything, not surprised. Anything played out the rest of the way it did. Like you said, it makes sense. Drew through his own actions. Mm -hmm. It's the why he felt short. He's the heel. I get it. I thought they handled the cash in great. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love that. Um, I was hot for this, man. I was so hot for that finish. And then it didn't happen. And I was deflated again. It was just like the failed cash in with Finn yep. and Seth and Priest during that thing. You know, like, oh, God, we're so close to Seth Rollins <laughs> losing multiple times. And we want him to lose. And he's the face. And it's such and a... So like, it, sorry, it's such a different, oh, yeah. it's such a different desire wanting him to lose, right? Because if you remember yeah. the last time he was champion, right, with the whole fiend angle, we wanted him to lose because he was booked like absolute trash, and it was stupid, yeah. literal, just stupid booking. What they did with the fiend and having Rollins win a Hell in a Cell match by disqualification, we're like, you got to take the title off of him and turn him heel because it's just not working. We want right. him to lose now because he's doing such a good job as a babyface that we actually like the stories of the heels that are being presented. And we believe that those heels are deserving of having opportunities. So it's not us wanting Rollins to lose because he's doing a bad job or because he's not over. He's as over as most people in WWE, the the top of the card. It's Cody Rhodes, Mm -hmm. Seth Rollins, LA Knight, Jay Uso, like Mm -hmm. Randy Orton, I guess now CM Punk. Like these people are all massively over. Rollins is having an exceptional World Heavyweight Championship reign. Like, let's not get that twisted. It's yeah. just to what you said, and I'll let you get back in. They did, they've done such a good job telling us why Finn Balor needed to win that match. To a lesser extent, why Shinsuke Nakamura needed to. To a maybe greater extent, why Drew McIntyre absolutely needed to. And in each occasion, they're not having Rollins lose. And we sit there at the end of it, and we're like, why did I want the heel to win so bad? And why am I not thrilled that the baby face retained? Right. right. They, they told such a good story, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they told such a good story that we bought into the story like too much. So that's, that's, it's, a, it's, it's, like you said, it's a, it's a good problem to have compared to the last time Seth was a world champion and everything that came along with that. Right. But man, like I came out of that thinking like, maybe Drew McIntyre is leaving WWE in the future. Like, I don't know. I, like I, I had it in my head of McIntyre wins. Sammy Zayn wins the rumble and you have McIntyre, Sammy, like opened up night that's two what, or something like that's that. That's what we talked Sammy about. Sammy wins. Yeah. Sammy wins the world title and like, boom, it's great. Like it works. And I, I'm not, I, I'm not going to get into, they didn't book the thing I wanted. Therefore I don't like it. Right. That's, I, I never, I never want to do that. They've, they've told really good stories. I just, they told a great story here that I wanted them to follow through on and they didn't. Well, it's also that we were on the same page with that where we're like, 
It makes all the sense in the world for Rollins to lose the title at the start of the year after a long reign, go into the CM Punk match without a title. It does not need a title on the line. No. You have Sammy and Drew in a feud that you've created and built up and is ready and raring to go for a title. You actually need a title in that feud. It would help you know, extend the importance of it. So it all fit together. All the Lego pieces stacked up and fit and we were ready to go. And and that's where I kind of want to move on here. So as great as the creative might've been to get to the finish WWE desired, I'm frustrated for three different reasons. So number one, in kayfabe, it was dumb for him to pull Seth out of the ring instead of just continue taking advantage with the Future Shock DDT and immediately taking the title. I saw some people had problems with Priest and Dom just standing there at the end and not cashing in after Rollins was already immensely tired and beaten down. But in the history of Money in the Bank, that's not really how it works. You take advantage of the moment. If your moment passes, you usually don't cash it in after the fact. So I saw people... Also, go ahead. Yeah. Also, in the history of wrestling, you don't just spam your finisher and then win the match usually. You know, like Drew McIntyre could have gotten up and done a Futures done another Claymore and won the match. But that just, that's usually, that usually doesn't happen either. That part actually didn't bother It usually me. doesn't happen. Okay, that's fair. It didn't bother you. For me, in that situation, it made all the sense in the world for him just to do that and win. But that was number one. Number two, Rollins now always winning these matches because they've given us so many close calls where they actually are making us think the heel is going to win. It's turning into slowly a Seth wins LOL, like Cena wins LOL back in the day. The dude has to lose at some point. And the reign has been long enough already to reestablish him as a main event world title contender. And it's been long enough to establish the world heavyweight championship as a legitimate top two title in the company. When they first debuted it, a lot of people said, oh, it's a secondary title. And clearly Romans is the big title. Rollins has been the workhorse. He's been mm -hmm. the one that's done every single thing he needed to do to make this title legitimate. His job is done. It is now time to move on. And my yeah. third thing is that McIntyre had Rollins completely beat. And it almost felt like deja vu. Because as I put these notes down, because I believe I felt the same way after their first match, or maybe it was after the Balor match. But McIntyre had him beat. So now I can't see Drew actually winning the title, even if he was to get another rematch. Because yep. then, yep. instead of simply losing once via excused distraction and a Money in the Bank briefcase shot to the head, Rollins would basically have to lose twice. This one, which he didn't actually lose, even though he was beaten. And then a second time actually losing the title. And it really would not make any sense for a babyface ahead of a big WrestleMania match, presumably against CM Punk, to quote unquote lose twice. Even if they book the rematch, I'm not sure how you can get to a Rollins loss unless it's the same type of distraction finish or Punk directly interferes because tensions rise between them or something like that. And it's actually a heel turn for Punk. Had Rollins simply lost the title here, and please excuse my dog who was snoring in the background if that is coming through on the microphone. But if Rollins had simply dropped the title here, he could have moved on to the rumble against Punk and they could have yeah. used an elimination or a storyline within that match to set up WrestleMania. You know what I mean? Yep. No, like you said, like the title means a lot now and it's because of Seth and because of what they've done for it. And just like when McIntyre lost to Roman the way he did at Clash of the Castle, I thought, okay, well, he can't, 
if he wasn't going to win it in Wales, he's not going to win it, you know. And if he's not going to win it here, after that promo a couple weeks ago, after that video package, after this being about his sick and dying family members, he's not going to win it, you know. And it like it, CM Punk interfering and McIntyre winning would take away the whole point of McIntyre winning in the first place. It would make it secondary to whatever CM Punk and, and Seth are doing. So it was frustrating, like you said. And I don't know what comes next for a lot of these guys. And that's not that's not a bad thing on its own. Not necessarily. But right. But man, they had like they teed it up perfectly. And I was I was completely along for the ride with them. And sometimes you're just like, just finish the ride, man. Finish the story for me. Right. Like you guys did. We've got a bu- we and move on into the next story. Like, I'm good now. We don't need to keep stretching this out. You, you did it like just land the plane and move on to the next thing. Well, that, so. That's the thing, because one of the ideas, Chris, of the World Heavyweight Championship was to have a fighting champion on TV constantly with a world title. They mm. succeeded doing that. The other in kayfabe, or I should say, I'm sorry, not in kayfabe, should have been to keep the world title scene fresh. And with Rollins reign now at 220 days, they're actively not keeping the world title scene fresh. Like McIntyre has now lost something like a dozen straight title matches between WWE and World Heavyweight and any others that he's contended for, Intercontinental, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Finn Balor and Shinsuke Nakamura lost multiple matches. Sami Zayn and Jey Uso have already lost to Seth Rollins. Cody Rhodes isn't even trying for it. There's others. And if Seth actually now holds this until WrestleMania, we're looking at a 315-day reign with possibly CM Punk being the one who ends it. No one is suggesting yeah. Rollins should have dropped it after 90 days. But if it wasn't Balor, it should have been Nakamura. And if it wasn't Nakamura, then it really should have been McIntyre. Yeah. You can't have two simultaneous world title reigns with one guy holding it for three years and another guy for seven and a half months and counting. Exactly. The interest exactly. in Rollins is just, even if the booking remains strong, it's naturally going to wane. And if they had changed the title here, everything would have been super compelling going into Raw next week. Drew McIntyre as champion would have been fresh. You already have Sami Zayn who wants revenge on him. And now you have a CM Punk, Seth Rollins feud that could have been built without a title, which it doesn't need. Instead, we go into next week and everything's the same as it was this week. Yep, that, that's exactly it. And look, I, we don't know Seth, CM Punk. Maybe it's not WrestleMania. Again, we got three big shows left. So I, I don't know where it's going to go from there. But you're right. Like Seth is incredibly over, but like keep, you know, like kind of like how Seinfeld, you know, ended when it was hot, you know, like end Seth Rollins championship reign while he's hot. Cause then that, you know, that, that continues instead of has the chance of going on for too long. I don't get why you have a 1000 day champion and a potentially 300 day champion on top of an intercontinental championship. That is a record reign, you know, like yeah. ah, this was it, man. Like, I don't know. It was I mean, we're, we're kind of going. Even we're no, going it's fine. Some, I just thought. I let's just end thought, it on I this. They, yeah. Let, let's end it on this. The the Rollins Balor seven year match. We said that was the perfect opportunity. Okay, they yes. created. And I was at that. I was at that SummerSlam when the people were ready for Finn to win because right. they had told such a great story, and we were devastated when he didn't. You get past that. Even the Nakamura stuff. I can understand an argument where you don't want to put the title on Shinsuke for one reason or another. Fine, but they created another perfect opportunity. 
It's very similar to some degree, Chris, to what happened with Roman Reigns last year, where they had the perfect opportunity with Drew McIntyre. Then they had the perfect opportunity with uh, Sami Zayn. And then they really had the perfect opportunity with Cody Rhodes. But they even still with that one didn't pull the trigger, right? So it's very similar in that regard. And I I just think that's where the frustration comes in. It's not that now I'm not going to come in next week and say I hate Seth Rollins as the world heavyweight champion or any of this stuff. But there was a very clear booking through line here. It was Rollins losing to McIntyre, McIntyre having a really nice reign up until WrestleMania, Sami Zayn winning in a huge moment either at WrestleMania or shortly thereafter, Damian Priest finally cashing in Money in the Bank because it makes sense for a heel to cash in on a face and Sammy wouldn't have been hurt that much. The achievement is winning mm-hmm. the title. He doesn't need a reign. Mm-hmm. You have Priest cash mm-hmm. in. And then if you want Rollins to win it back, you have Rollins come back and say, hey, Priest, remember how you tried to mess with me a million times while I was champion? Now it's my turn. I'm going to take my title back. So they had, that. that's an entire storyline, maybe a calendar year worth of stories that they could have played out. And instead, Rollins is still champion. Let's end on this question. Sure. Do you think do you think Priest will cash in and take the title from Rollins before WrestleMania? Today, I, no. I, I think I think that is I think that's going to happen. I think Rollins will drop the title before Mania and we'll have Rollins punk presumably without a title, but I think it's gonna I think it's gonna come via cash in now. As of today, I do not think that is going to happen. Uh, after WrestleMania, they have until July for Priest to cash in. So he's got three months plus in that period in between. I could see him cash in on CM Punk if if Punk beats. It it happened at the Rumble. Maybe we do Rollins Punk at the Rumble. Priest cashes in, wins triple threat, you know, at the end, something like that. (sighs) I don't know. I don't think they're doing Punk Rollins anywhere else than WrestleMania. Yeah, maybe. I just, I think... You really, I don't. You really don't need or want the title on Punk Rollins because I don't think Punk as a champion would be great either. So I, we'll do, we'll just also we'll just do a prediction. Punk we'll, as we'll a see, champion. We'll who's right? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say we get a cash in at or before WrestleMania, and you want to go with after? Well, no, I think I think at WrestleMania is is possible. Rollins retains over Punk, and then Priest cashes in. I do think that's reasonable and possible. Okay, okay. I just don't think it's happening uh, before WrestleMania. Okay. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Okay. That, folks, was the main event. Those are two of the more significant topics we've discussed in this space in quite some time when it relates to WWE creative and what's happening on the screen. So thank you for indulging us there. It is time to move on to our next segment, some of your favorite segments. It is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade, it just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some Jordan. It's time to wake up the dead, you sound a little naive in them articles that I read. All right, so let's kick this off the way WWE kicked off its 2024, Becky Lynch versus Nia Jax. So this opened Raw, and they had an exceptional pre-match video package spanning five years, their entire storyline. I just thought it was expertly done. Lynch hit a flip-over stunner out of the corner and a missile dropkick. Then they did a callback to... Ah! My whole 
Although she didn't say it, but it was pretty much the same situation. Uh, Becky dodged a punch into the ring post and then dodged Anaya Cannonball into the barricade. Jax barely beat the count at like 10.1, but it continued with Lynch hitting a flying leg drop and disarm her. Naya then broke a regular armbar with a deadlift sit-down powerbomb for a near fall. Becky tried an avalanche manhandle slam, but Naya countered into an avalanche Samoan drop for a 2.9 false finish. Lynch knocked Jax off the ropes and went wild on her, but Naya countered a draping flying leg drop by standing up like with her body still in between the ropes and hitting a perfect, almost video game style uppercut punch. Becky sold the shit like death, just fell backwards on the canvas. And then Naya took advantage hitting Annihilator for the shocking one, two, three, as Becky spouted blood from her mouth, selling the punch. Now, obviously, this was a stunning booking decision given our expectations for Lynch with WrestleMania season coming up. But holy shit, did this match over deliver in every possible way. They had consistently great callbacks throughout. Naya's flaws were hidden expertly well. And simply put, I think she had the best match of her career full stop. And yes, I say that remembering the Ronda Rousey matches, which were high quality, this was better. Becky's incredible technique played a huge part in that, obviously. Her sell on that uppercut was exceptional. But Naya, I just gotta give her credit. She was strong and the crowd was captivated with this from bell to bell. She also got them really riled up after the finish, like bumping her chest and screaming at them. Like she really got them going. The only flaw in the entire match was the blood packet in Becky's mouth burst before she took the uppercut. So she was bleeding a little bit before the punch even happened. But there were great storytelling aspects, including utilizing the punch on two different occasions. This was a massive win for Nia. Becky was protected because she lost her cool in the end. That led to her getting caught by the uppercut. This is one of those situations where like under Vince McMahon, one could legitimately be worried about the booking decision. Under Triple H, I have no doubt this is still headed exactly where we expect it to go. Rhea Ripley, Becky Lynch at WrestleMania. Rhea needed another credible opponent between now and then. So now she has one in Nia Jax. And Becky is so strong, she can believably rebound from this loss. Not just good, this was actually a great start to a special day one edition of Raw. This was awesome, man. Absolutely awesome from both of them. Like you said, they absolutely played their parts perfectly. The most enjoyable wrestling matches, sports games, whatever, is clashes of styles. It's not two people who can do the same thing. This was so fun because they just both approach wrestling different ways because one of them small and one of them's big. And, you know, that makes for a natural storyline that you can tell. And I just no no criticisms of the match. I just thought they both did a great job. I didn't even know until you just said that Becky had a blood capsule and that it popped early. I, I missed it, mm. apparently, because I just saw Becky get pinned and bleeding and I was thought, oh, my God, that was the perfect ending. Like, it was the perfect ending to the match, the story. I didn't I didn't know if they did it on purpose or not, but I was totally bought in, totally got me with all that terrific storytelling. Like, no notes, no criticism at all. It was as perfect as it could have possibly been. I, I, I didn't think Nye was going to win. I thought, oh, Becky win, then you move right. on, move into Rumble, whatever. Totally didn't see that coming. And... It totally sucked me in. I loved it.
Yeah, you're right. And I forgot to give a grade. I'm right between three, seven, five, four stars, B plus, A minus. It's right on that level. The booking coming out of this is going to be interesting because Naya now is surely in line for a title match. But you'd also think Becky probably needs to win a rematch over her at some point before WrestleMania. Jax already entered the Royal Rumble, as did Becky. But I guess Naya could fight Ripley there instead. They can easily just take her out of the match. Maybe Mm -hmm. they push Naya and Rhea to Elimination Chamber in Australia. Can imagine Rhea body slamming Naya in Perth. Like that would just get as big a reaction as you possibly could get. You could also have Becky win the chamber on the same show. Basically, the booking I was talking about with Cody Rhodes, have Becky win the chamber on the same show, stare down Ripley in the ring after her title defense. So not only does Ripley get a big win, but she gets a big moment with Bex right in the middle of the ring in Australia. That would be an insane moment. And then if you do that, Becky can just beat Nia on TV on the road to WrestleMania. So there's a lot of different ways they can go, but I'm pretty excited about all of them. And, you know, I'm actually kind of glad that two weeks ago, maybe it was, we started giving Nia a little bit of credit for actually improving in this run because she paid that off here. Like I was a little bit worried saying that initially. I was like, oh, she's going to go botch a match and hurt someone and it's going to be really nasty. But this run of hers, we were all really disappointed when they re-signed her. Like, why do they need her? They have larger women uh, in terms of stature. You know, she's just not necessary. But they've added a hoss to this division and it's been paying off. It just has. Yep. Nia had one of the best promos of her career a couple weeks ago coming into this. Mm-hmm. And this might have been her best match. She's doing great. There you go. Let's move to the Women's World Championship match, which was Rhea Ripley against... Oh, wait a minute. I just got it. Okay, so a minute ago, I mentioned what Becky Lynch tweeted about talking about how to beat up uh, the cousin. Right. It's referring to Roman and Nia. Okay. Yes. I didn't get the second part. (laughs) I like that you just came to that realization now. That's so funny. Yes. Uh, Women's World Championship, Rhea Ripley against Ivy Nile. Solid video package for Niall early in the show. Helped those unfamiliar with her learn a little bit. I would have liked a little bit more of a deeper dive, but you can only get what you can get, and I'm not going to complain about that. Ripley also got a quick promo package about dominating the division in 2023. This started midway through Raw. Niall showed off her strength throughout. She even got Ripley doing a bleeped oh shit when she did a German suplex outside. Like Rhea was surprised of her strength, said oh shit, and they bleeped it, which was just really put over Ivy in the moment. She got a lot of offense and did a great almost like pop-up leg lariat plus a tornado DDT. Ivy then got caught within Rhea's legs. It looked good, but she's got me saying, hey now. Sure, a lot of people were jealous of her there and headbutted her, uh, Ripley did. Niall countered Riptide into a gut wrench suplex and then countered again into an avalanche German suplex for a false finish. Ripley caught Niall flying with a headbutt, adding a knee and Riptide in a very Gunther-esque finish sequence to retain the title in 13 minutes. When I say this was exactly what it needed to be, I say that with no exaggeration. I was concerned that because there was an immediate four-minute picture-in-picture commercial, they were going to come back, get two minutes, and that was it. They got Mm -hmm. nearly 10 minutes in the full screen, and Niall looked completely up to the task. She was nervous early, and you could tell that she was still a bit green, but she got so much offense here, and Rhea sold so well for her, that Niall looked game throughout and was completely legitimized coming out of this match. This is exactly how you build new talent. And I'm not sure it really could have been done any better. Though I would have liked after the bell, some acknowledgement from Ripley, a head nod, picking her up a little bit, something. I know Rhea's a heel. 
you can still acknowledge when you get tested. This was probably Rhea's second best match since WrestleMania, which is really saying something, Chris, but it was good. I went 3.5 stars in a B and I would find fault in anyone disagreeing. I would give both of these matches, I put both of these on like a 4.25 type of scale, both the women's matches. This, and again, just like the first one, this was a clash of styles. You have a big person and a smaller person. And can in this in this case, the smaller person's got a lot more strength than, than you would expect. So, like that naturally told it right there. The video package to start, yes. I'm glad they did it, but they didn't give us, they didn't tell us who she is. It was the exact same thing they gave us with the Creed brothers before their thing was before their title match, right. where it was we're brothers and we work out all the time, and we're in people doubted us, and we're here, and I work hard. And like Okay, but like, who are you? You know, like, they didn't tell us any of that. Who did tell us that was Michael Cole at the beginning of the match Mm -hmm. when they tell, oh, she's trained in MMA and jujitsu. This is her match. She's got all these different skills. Like, okay, like that's that's a bit more. But the other was just like Ivy and I was saying, you know, people, I'm the underdog and people always doubt me. Like, why though? Like, why is it? Because you're small, am I supposed to just assume that? I mean, you're pretty jacked. Like, I don't know. Like, give me the why between the, the thing you're trying to tell me. So, so there's a little bit of a lack of a connection there. But so 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 that was the start. Rhea got a humongous reaction on her entrance. I mean, like, you want to talk about a pop. It was huge. I, I continue to love Rhea's entrance music more and more. I was actually listening to it before the show. Me too. It gets me fired up. I really I'm like loving it, it man. Yeah, it, it's, it's getting good. better and better the more I hear it. Um, I also like that Ivy and I wore a uh, color in her gear. She's normally just wearing black and blue, but Rhea was wearing a lot of black and white. So this was a good contrast. Clearly, who's the villain? Who's not? Mm-hmm. Wade Barrett pointed out this was her first singles match, which I'm glad they acknowledged because it was a bit weird that she had that she was getting a title match despite never having a singles match, only competing in a multi-woman match in a battle royal. On the they main roster. That. On the main roster. Yes, yeah. on the main roster. So like. You tell us that so like we can understand it. It goes into how we kind of evaluate the match as a story. And then they banged, man. The, the match was great. Ivy and I absolutely held up. Uh, she was terrific. Loved her. I said back when she was NXT, in, in NXT one time that she is booked the way Ronda Rousey should have been. Mm-hmm. You know, just like a just like a badass. She Everything about her tells you that. And so comes out of it. Looking great. Uh, she'll be great moving forward. Creed Brothers have been really good. Rhea gets a really good solid win. Hasn't had a title, ton of title defenses. Um, and we move forward. So this was this was great. Loved it. All right. Cody Rhodes came out 30 minutes into Raw wearing his gear, saying he's got major goals in his sights, but is stuck on Shinsuke Nakamura because their feud should be over already. He offered to end it immediately, but Shin appeared on the Titantron saying it's been too easy to get in his head and author his final chapter. This was, again, the anime villain type of graphic type of promo. Nakamura said the story doesn't end at day one because he wanted to give the American Nightmare one more week to dream. Then Shin promised to finish his story and close his book for him before misting directly into the camera. Cody looked frustrated, And it just kind of ended after that. So look, this is good once again. It does feel like it's being dragged out to create content for Raw because both guys are going to be in the Royal Rumble match. It's still a huge main event next week. 
and it is against the national championship for college football. So I understand why they didn't throw everything on to day one. It's also impressive to me how this Nakamura character, no matter what they do, no matter how many times they do something similar, it is getting better and better by the week. This is also despite him not winning anything. They really, what they need to do is start giving him matches, singles matches with other competitors. So he's getting wins in between these feud losses. That's the one change I would make. Shinsuke has to win with this character at some point. Otherwise, if you just have him lose five, six matches, then how are we going to believe that this guy is really that important of a villain if you can just easily beat him every single time? So this was good. I have no problems with it. I just hope they develop uh, Nakamura more coming out of this Cody feud. Yeah, I mean, it was fine. I guess I'll give it a like good. I just didn't really care. It was just, there was nothing new. It just, it was what we've kind of gotten before. I agree that Nakamura should be getting some wins in between. But uh, yeah, whatever. It was very short, minimal thing. And uh, yeah, didn't have a ton of thoughts. Judgment Day was on Miz TV. Miz did his normal shtick and Judgment Day's music played only for R-Truth to enter with his name taped on that new Judgment Day shirt that has all their names. Truth did some comedy. JD McDonough and Dominic Mysterio came out with Dom getting his ass eviscerated by booze like a dozen different times. And by the way, they were in his hometown. Truth brought yeah. up that McDonough should be out of Judgment Day given the street fight stipulation. Miz took shots at Dom and acknowledged the CM Punk matches on the holiday tour, which they never acknowledge how show matches. So that was pretty cool. Dom freaked out and challenged to a tag team match. Truth was confused because he's in Judgment Day. So he thought, that he was tagging with one of the heels, not Miz, but then he understood that it was Judgment Day trying to pull a fast one on the Miz, so he agreed to team with Miz. So we got Awesome Truth, the return of Awesome Truth, against Dom and JD. Midway through the match, the heels convinced Truth to hit Miz since Truth is in Judgment Day. So we did the entire Shawn Michaels, I'm sorry, I love you, to Ric Flair, but he did it to the Miz. Miz ducked the punch, McDonough got stuck, before Miz followed with skull-crushing finale for the win. My Lord, was this fun and funny. The callback totally popped me in the moment. Like everything was rolling pretty well. I mean, this is a good segment. It's good. And then they do the Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair callback. And that just sent it over the top. McDonough taking the fall instead of Dom was appropriate. The heat on Dom was extraordinary. Maybe the loudest it's ever been. It was truly nuclear. Maybe mm -hmm. we get a Miz Dom feud coming out of this. That would be great for Dominic to feud with Miz, do the mic battle, ultimately beat him. Everything just worked. There's not really even much else to say. It was good. Our truth is a special talent, man. Like the things, the things in this segment that he had to balance was incredibly difficult because he couldn't just completely ignore Miss. He had to like have a foot in both sides of this and 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 handle that well. And he absolutely did. Also, I love the way JD McDonough says truth. But because he has that thick Irish accent, it sounds like he's just saying toot. Yeah. <laughs> Every time he toot. says truth, it's funny. Toot. Yeah. Um, I love that, like, Miss is like, we're doing a tag team match. Our truth's like, all right, we're fighting you. And Miss is like, no, you're with me. I just, it was so funny. It was and good. they just, excellent, just excellent job by everybody involved. It, it could have been, it could have gotten really campy. It could have gotten messy. They could have mixed something up. They hit every note on this. Um, Judgment Day, these are the two guys, you know, adding J.D. McDonough to Judgment Day is your your foil, your guy you could just knock around a lot and could take losses and, and keep Judgment Day just kind of in the picture. And, and he's done that role 
very well here. Um, I'm not sick of our truth and judgment day, man. I'm, I'm back in on it uh, because of this segment. Yeah, I am too, to a degree, but they do. I mean, if you're using just Dom and JD as the comedy, that's okay. It's yeah. when you're including yeah. Finn and Priest and Rhea, where they're all champions and, and Dom and sorry, not Dom, uh, Priest and Finn, they need a, a tag team title feud coming up. Like they got to be treated as important and priest is still the money in the bank briefcase holder so as long as it's jd and dom fine and if you need the other three to be like the parents in the situation and like direct traffic a little bit that's okay too but i don't need dom i'm sorry i keep messing up truth uh working with priest valor and Rhea on a consistent basis let's see what they do next week for now that was a good one yeah kofi kingston and jay uso had a match against imperium Kofi wore these really stylish, like loose shorts and a totally different look for him. He caught Giovanni Vinci flying with a dropkick and tagged in Jay only for the bell to suddenly ring. Two trainers hopped into the ring to check on Vinci, who was caught on the jaw with the kick and had his head bounce hard off the canvas on the dropkick's like cell afterward. The faces got the stoppage win. Real unfortunate situation. I saw fan footage where Vinci was legitimately loopy standing up and like, uh, Ludwig Kaiser had to help him. So obviously Vinci's health is most important. Kudos to the referee for spotting it and for the yep. trainers for immediately stopping the match. That's one of the fastest concussion stoppages I've ever seen in 30 years of watching professional wrestling. This may be our first ever incomplete grade here. If you actually want a real grade, Vinci tweeted afterward that he's fine. And that's obviously good. Good, good. Yeah, no, um, very happy the way they handled that unfortunate situation. Um, yeah, I, it's just, it's an incomplete. Yeah. I'm just glad he's okay. Caden Carter and Katana Chance partied in an EDM club with the women's tag team titles when Chelsea Green and Piper Niven barged into the VIP area, saying they were bypassing Adam Pierce and going right to Nick Aldis for a match. The KCs said, you don't need to do that. We're fighting champions, but they wanted them out of there. So they threw drinks in their face. My only problem with this was they said they'd be watching the women's tag team match tonight. And it made no sense for what was a clearly staged offsite club visit to happen during Raw. It should have, they just they should have done this on New Year's Eve and said tomorrow night. And then they could have said, mm. oh, it happened yesterday. And all of it would have made sense. I'm giving it a light good because the champions got on TV and the former champions were not immediately shelved after losing. But when I say light good, I mean very light good. I liked this actually. I, I as opposed to just where the two girls who go to the music festivals vignettes that were just kind of nothing. I loved that Chelsea and Piper made their way into it, and they like you did a segment out of it. Like that was really well done. And, and Chelsea and Piper were great in this. I thought they were pretty funny. I liked the idea that they were like we're gonna go to Nick Aldis uh, to <laughs> instead of Priest to get a match, um, which made sense because they're on both brands. So. Mm -hmm. Um, no, I, I like this. I, you know, it, it was, it was a little bit different. It was a step forward. It wasn't just a meaningless vignette. I love a backstage thing like this that advances something just like when pretty deadly and, uh, the brutes had that, uh, massage parlor kind of fight type of thing. <laughs> I, I like this. I, I thought it was good. Okay. And then lastly, Shayna Baszler and Zoe Stark fought Natalia and Tegan Knox in what was basically a de facto number one contendership match. Knox hit a nice move off the ropes, but Baszler and Stark combined in the finish with Zoe hitting Z360 for the win. And I didn't even look at the time, but two minutes, maybe less than two minutes. 
Now, this directly followed the rock segment, and the crowd was completely spent emotionally. Not only that, it was cut for time because the main event was ahead, and I'm pretty sure what you said earlier is true. The rock segment was given more time because of what happened in the Imperium match, yet I think it still went over that allotted time, and therefore that resulted in this getting cut short because they have not been cutting women's matches short like this, especially a number one contendership match. So despite everything else on the show getting huge reactions, the fans just did not care about this, and they weren't given time to care either. The victory rang hollow. It's really no one's fault. And now the Casey's are fighting Piper and Chelsea next week, even though there's new number one contenders coming out of this match. What they should have done is canceled this, put the extra time on Rollins and McIntyre, and just held this next week. So while this is a fully understandable bad, it's a bad nonetheless, and it's actually kind of bordering on ugly. Yeah, I'm giving it a bad. There wasn't enough for me to say ugly just because, right. you know, they were given two minutes. They did what they could. Um, there's not much else to say, really. Nothing happened. So bad. All right. And that wraps up the good, the bad and the ugly, which allows us to move to the final segment on today's show. And that is the last word. So DJ, take the needle and just drop it on the record. What? We gon' have a poppin' in a second. That's why we always say the best cut last to make the scratch and mix for it like fresh cut grass. So Joe Steff at Just For Sports with a Z on Twitter wrote in, he said, the brilliance of the Pop-Tart mascot at the Pop-Tarts Bowl has me thinking about a fully costumed mascot Royal Rumble. Who would you want to see and who would win? I would have Mr. Cheez-It taking out the Oregon Duck for the win. So I don't think I need to get into like an actual prediction on who would win the match or anything, but I found this question interesting. It's a short question. Obviously, we've already had a long show and we have plenty still in the last word archives for us to get to. But I do think the idea of like if WWE was to ever do an event on like NBA All-Star Weekend or MLB All-Star Weekend or the Pro Bowl Weekend or something like that and doing like a battle royal with the mascots, but having wrestlers in the mascot costumes. I do think you could do like a five minute, 10 minute match and it would be legitimately fun. So I guess the question I can take from Joe Steph's, you know, actual last word question is Chris, would you want to see something like that? And would it pop you? Um, It'd be funny. I don't actually want to see it on a WrestleMania card. No, um, no, no. Like on a it, random, you know, show. It'd be difficult because everybody's heads, the mascot heads would be falling off if they were actually fighting. I'll, t- I'll tell That's you who true. I would pick, though. That's a good point. The, the mascot I would pick, someone who has wrestled in WWE, the San Diego Chicken. San Diego Chicken? With, with Pete Rose underneath from WrestleMania 15. Uh, the Chicken attacked Kane, remember, and it turned out to be Pete Rose for the second year in a row. Right. Kane, Tombstone, Pile Drive, Pete Rose. So. That would be my pick to win. I do think they got wrestling. They got wrestling experience. I do think in terms of mascots that could actually go through the motions of like being active in the ring, the Phoenix Suns gorilla and the Oregon duck, which Joseph mentioned are two pretty good options. I think when it comes to that and and, in the BYU Cougar, who's like legitimate breakdancing gymnastics. Yes, that's a good point as well. And there's others, but like those would stand out to me. But more than anything else, I wanted to use this to discuss the Pop-Tart Bowl and the Pop-Tarts mascot. This was one of the greatest things uh, in college football (laughs) that I've seen in in quite some time because there's a lot happening 
in the sport that we both cover and are responsible for, that for me brings me down. And we don't need to get into that whole conversation, but between recruiting an NIL and the transfer portal and the playoff expansion, and there's just so many things that I'm not exactly loving, but the Pop-Tart mascot and the way, I forget who it was, that ESPN play-by-play guy, said something Anish Roth. Anish Roth. Well, really do you remember the do you remember the line that he that he said? Uh it, it will be his final meal and then he will die basically. Right. And he will be consumed or something like that. And it was just such smart marketing. Like this is the type of stuff that you're going to see on WWE TV a little bit more or, or pay-per-views when they do some of these sponsorships. I'm not saying this exactly, but it's this creative level of marketing of a Pop-Tart literally bringing itself down, sacrificing itself into a fake toaster, then being pushed out of the toaster and being devoured by players and coaches in this game. It was really funny. If you don't watch sports or you don't watch college football, I would Google it and find this. We're giving Pop-Tarts a free plug. Hey, if anyone from, I don't know what the parent company is, but if you're listening, I'll take some frosted strawberry and some s'mores. I'll give you my address. I'd love it. Um, But I loved this, what they did here. And it just reminded me very much of a WWE type of deal. Like I could see them doing something like this around a pay-per-view. You'll remember they did like those KFC fake matches um, Mm -hmm. a couple years ago. And obviously they're doing a lot of sponsored matches these days. I would not be surprised to see something like this in the future, but I did think this was fun during bowl season. That that's a good way to compare. It did feel very WWE, like the KFC thing or the the army, the zombie match or right. the zombie thing they did the one time. Yeah, with Miz. It yeah. was the, the Texas Chainsaw Death Match, which was a 0.0 uh, that happened in, in AW. It was a nominee. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I could definitely see something like that happening in WWE more. And frankly, I think all sides would be smart to based on what happened with Pop-Tarts Bowl, you know. So, uh We'll see, but it did feel very pro wrestling esque a thing coming out of college football. By the way, mm-hmm. the Cheez It Bowl, where the Cheez It mascot was there, um, Top Dollar was at the game yes. to present a Cheez It, I think MVP belt. He did to uh, to I think it was LSU. Was that no, was that the LSU game or was no the Tennessee game? It was the Tennessee uh, Iowa game. If so, it was the uh, Citrus Bowl. It was Tennessee because you can't yes, spell yep. Citrus without UT. Yes, exactly. So there was another former wrestler with another belt being presented. Uh, Tony Khan gave an AEW belt to Clemson mm-hmm. for winning the Gator Bowl. So this continues to, uh, we continue to get more pro wrestling in our college football. And it does look like they're taking a page from WWE. It seems like they redesigned their title to have side plates so that they can put teams mm-hmm. on them, you know, and so on and so forth. So we'll see how that goes. And if, they, if there's a competition between which title a team will now use if AEW starts trying to do that. <laughs> I don't know. I think you're going to be hard-pressed to beat WWE in some of those circumstances. But nevertheless, uh, certainly an interesting development across the board. Chris, we had a full WWE episode, despite having two hours less of programming to discuss. But I'm nevertheless glad we pulled this off exactly how we did. I want to give everyone a reminder, both of what's already in the getting over archives and what is still to come here over the next week. So. We do have your 2023 year in review waiting for your ear holes. Don't miss that. If you missed our breakdown of what happened on the last live SmackDown, that is also waiting for you. We taped that before Christmas. We also have your AEW World's End instant analysis from Saturday night. 
Again, waiting for your ear holes. Today, of course, we did your WWE Day 1 show. On Thursday, we'll be back with your next AEW and NXT episode. We'll talk about NXT New Year's Evil and maybe some major moments coming out of AEW. Next Monday, we deliver to you the 2023 Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. The meeting And voting is still open through end of day Tuesday. So be sure to visit us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Find the ballot and make sure your voice is heard. And then one week from now, same bat time, same bat channel. We'll be back with your next WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. As mentioned, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, highlights, all of that good stuff. You can also send us DMs and tweets, questions and comments that we will read on the show as we already did today. Please also remember, it's all about Defy. You can leave your five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. On Apple, if you take a little extra time and leave a five-star written review, we will read it here on the show. Please also remember, I happen to love the number... Five. And I hope you do as well. I didn't mention it earlier, but for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You will get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling. Those are instant recaps from the weekly TV shows. We're going to get those started again, beginning Tuesday night after the holiday week. You also get exclusive news posts every Friday where we've been on top of some of these major stories that have broken recently. Again, you can get it all by meacoffee.com slash getting over. I want to thank once again, Vintage Chris Benini for joining us. I hope everyone listening is having a happy start to their new year. Of course, 2024. It has been a blast doing this show for you for so many years. WrestleMania season is about to begin. We are thrilled to continue bringing it to you. Make sure you do not miss the 2023 Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. The Game. Media Coming to you next week. But at this point, it is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.